0: So I want to thank you guys for coming today, Uh, and if you're joining us online, I want to thank you as well. We're glad that you're here with us. And thank you to the leadership of Generations Church for allowing me the opportunity to share this message with you guys. I believe it is a word from God. Uh, And this week we're going to continue on in our series of Honoring God and More. Today's message, if you're taking notes, is going to be called Honoring the Warrior Within. Honoring the warrior within. All right, so when I say the word warrior, what comes to mind? Maybe you're a little bit more literal and you think of today's times, and maybe you think of something like American Ninja Warrior, and you think of Jesse Graft, who was one of the greatest American Ninja Warriors of her generation. Or maybe you're a little more literal and you think of like the Golden State Warriors, an NBA team out west. This is Steph Curry, one of their point guards. Maybe you think a little bit more, you know, it's got the Warriors on the jersey, that's what you think of. Quite possibly you can think of a football player, now with last Thursday being the first football game of the season, and as somebody who played football in high school, I understand what it's like to suit up every week, to play a game that we all enjoy watching or even playing, and these guys put their bodies on the line every week for our entertainment. It's not an easy thing to do, especially the guys that are right there in the front. They get hit 60 to 80 times a game every play. It's a lot, okay? But they have this armor that they wear that is a football pads and a helmet. Maybe you think of a UFC fighter as a warrior. Maybe you think of Conor McGregor or even other fighters that are out there who are in physical battles every time they step into the octagon. Maybe you think of the warriors that we have for our country. These people fight for the freedoms that we have that we often take for granted, like the ability to sit in this room without persecution. Now, maybe you're a little bit of a history buff, and you think of somebody like Leonidas. When you hear the word warrior, you think of The Spartan army. It was an undefeated army of 300 people. Maybe that's what you think of. But what if I told you that you are a warrior? What if I told you that we're in a spiritual battle every day? And what if I could give you tools to fight that battle? Would you take them? Would you use them? Today I want to talk about two different areas. I want to talk about the battle, and I want to talk about the battle plan. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And this is where our main text is going to come from this week. And while you're turning there, watch this video.
1: Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods, and communities, and in our families. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus's people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now as the messiahs followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our
0: life story. Like I said, we're going to break it down into two different parts. We're going to talk about the battle, and we're going to talk about the battle plan. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Have you found it? It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say, "Put put on. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all you can to stand firm. Like I said, we're going to talk about the battle to start with, but I want to give you guys a reminder, something to walk away with, For today, and it is this, that you are a warrior in a spiritual battle, confident that Jesus has already won the war. So, let's talk about the battle a little bit. Ephesians 6.12 talks about our battle. And the first part of our promise is a reminder that we are in a spiritual battle. It says you are a warrior in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the first thing I want you to realize about this battle is the enemy is real. The enemy is real. Let me ask you a quick question. When you think about the devil, when you think about him, What picture comes to mind? I pray to God it is not this emoji. (laughs) I hope that you take the devil a little bit more seriously than this. But here's the thing. Ask Adam and Eve. From Genesis chapter 3, the devil is nothing to take lightly. But he's not a cartoonish character like this picture. He's nothing like that. 2 Corinthians 11:14 tells us that and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We also see in 1 Peter 5:8 to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I just want to be clear for a minute. Satan is not a joke. Satan is not a myth. He's not a cartoon. He's not someone that you want to be messing around with or playing with. But as a follower of Jesus who has been saved by Christ, we do not have to fear Satan because Jesus already won that battle on the cross. Satan has been defeated by Jesus, but Satan is not someone to blow off or roll your eyes at. He wants nothing more than to harm us, to distract us, to cause doubt, to plant seeds of fear. He wants to do those things. He wants to be able to get you away from God's call and God's purpose in your life. Satan's strategy is clear. What is a strategy? A strategy is simply a plan of action. Satan's strategy is to distract us and to confuse us into doing his will. In John chapter 8, we see the Pharisees arguing back and forth with Jesus. And at one point, Jesus lets them have it. Jesus is fed up with their their lies and their confusion. And so the Pharisees, they claim to be sons of Abraham. And Jesus points out to them that if you were doing the work of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Then Then they say that they are sons of God. And Jesus, at this point, tells them who their father really is. John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You are of of your father, the devil. And the Pharisees probably at the moment were just like, What is he talking about? Our father isn't the devil. They They didn't see how blinded they truly were by the devil's schemes. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's strategy is clear. And the Pharisees were blinded by this strategy. John 10.10 also says this thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's a promise that Jesus makes here at the end that I have come, Jesus, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The next part of the battle is our battlefield is everywhere. Now, unlike war zones, there's usually a typical area where there is battles that take place. Our battlefield has no boundaries. Our battlefield could even be in this building, guys. Okay? you're like, oh, it's a church. It shouldn't be a battlefield. It can be. It can be. Much like a map on Halo, like a video game, there's a place in the corner where you can see the outline of where the, field, the battlefield is. That's not how our life is. Our battlefield is everywhere. And lastly, on the battle, our stakes are high. The stakes are very high. We're not talking about somebody's earthly life when they're trapped in the lies of the devil. Or the distractions of the enemy. We're talking about their eternal future. Yeah. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. In this case, they're, going, they're either going to spend eternity in hell. Or they're going to hear the good news of the gospel. Receive it. And understand that Jesus is who he says he is. And spend eternity in heaven. And we have to be that catalyst. We'll get to that here in a little bit. All right, right, Second Corinthians who paints this picture of how high the stakes truly are. In verse 3 it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, the gospel that is Jesus Christ, is veiled to those who are, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them, the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And here's our side of it, for what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, for God who said, "Let the let light shine out of darkness," has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have a job to do as believers. We have a job. So let's recap the battle real quick. In the battle, we talked about that the enemy is real. We talked about that Satan's strategy is clear. We realized that the battlefield is everywhere and that the stakes are high. This feels like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? All of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. But the pressure can be relieved with a promise that we have. And at the end of our promises is that Jesus has already won the war. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, we can resist the enemy and stand firm in our faith because we are confident that Jesus has already won the war. We have that promise for us. So now we talked about the battle a little bit. Let's talk about the battle plan. And this is where I want to give you guys some tools to use in this battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, we're given instructions on how to stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Ephesians 6:13 says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Everybody say stand firm. firm. We are told to take up the whole armor of God. How can you practically do this on a da- in our daily life? This is a battle plan for a never-ending war. It's not something you put on once and you're covered. This is a daily thing. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, we see the first pieces of armor. And I hope to give you guys some understanding of what these pieces are, what they represent, and how they can help us in these spiritual battles. You guys ready? All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's stop there for a second. There's two pieces. What is righteousness? Well, Webster's defines righteousness as acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin, morally right or justifiable. Seems pretty good, but what is that exactly does that mean? Well, when we look at it in the way that the Bible describes This word, God's righteousness, refers to the truth that everything about God, his actions, his plan, and his character is perfectly good. Psalm 25 verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Who are these sinners, you might ask? Well, guess what? That's all of us. Okay, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hate to break it to you guys, we've all sinned. Oh my goodness, it's the end of the world, right? We were born into this sin though, thanks to the fall of man in Genesis chapter three that I keep referring to. But here's the thing. God instructs us as, his, as sinners in his way. And we know that God's action Plan and character are perfectly good. We can trust God to forgive us of our sins and follow His will for our lives, and we are made righteous. And it's not by our own doing, it's not by our own self, but it is a perfect righteousness of God. So, in essence, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you no longer identify as the sinners that we were born into being we now find that our identity is found in Jesus. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is the message that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and rose again three days later. Receiving the gospel allows us to be at peace with God and right with him. God's peace gives us stillness, quietness, and calmness in our heart and in our soul. The gospel reconciles us to God, and we can live in relationship with him. In other words, the gospel changes how we stand. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Genrev, we have this saying that says, We will not be shaken. And that derives from the scripture of Psalm 16, verse 8, that says, I keep my eyes on the Lord, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's a daily reminder for us that through the trials and tribulations of this world, God is in the midst of it. And we can trust him and we have peace when we walk with him. The next thing about the gospel is the gospel changes how we walk. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This gives us a reason for our peace because we have been justified by faith. But in 1 Peter 3.15, it goes on to say, but in in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This gives a purpose to our peace. We cannot just stand idly by thinking that we have this peace and we can no longer do anything with it. We have to go and share the gospel with people. We are to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. We can't just have peace and not share it. We have to dig in and push back against the schemes of the devil. We must always be prepared to give an account for what God has done in our lives and what makes us different from the rest of the world. All right, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Listen, I have to say this. Our enemy will throw fiery darts at us. It's going to happen. He's going to come with things like doubt and fear. Things that will make you question your worth, your identity, and who God has called you to be. And it may sound something like this. Did God really say fill in the blank? You aren't good enough to be used by God. These are things that the enemy may say. Can God really be trusted? You have messed up way too much for God to love you. You don't need God to live a good life. Just live your truth. God's best isn't worth waiting for. Go get what you want right now instead. How many of you know that these are lies? But there's good news. I have good news for you guys. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what is faith? Faith is a confident trust in who God is, even if you may not see him working. Faith is a confident trust that he has already won the victory. Faith is a confident trust that even even though you may not have all of the answers, You know that God knows best and is working things together for good. Let's keep going. Faith is trusting that no matter what happens or what you experience, God is in control and cares for you. Faith is not a blind trust but a confident trust because you know the character of God can be trusted. He has proven himself time and time again and has revealed himself in his word. faith is not a blind trust. Well, I have all this faith, then why do these bad things keep happen to, happening to me? That's a great question. God gave us the ability to have free will, and we have to choose to follow God. We also have this To remind us that faith doesn't prevent the arrows from coming at all. Our faith allows us to trust that God will protect us when the arrows do come. So when the arrows come, you have to choose to pick up your shield of faith. And trust God and his word and his will for your life. And take up the helmet of salvation. Let's talk about the helmet of salvation real quick. What is the purpose of it? What does the helmet of salvation do for us? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. The helmet of salvation reminds us of Jesus. It helps us to remember and keep Jesus at the center of our thinking. It's a call to remember what Jesus has done for us. And that nothing we do will ever take away how much he loves us. The helmet of salvation is a call to take our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10:5 says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The helmet of salvation is used to guard our thinking. Romans 12:2 says, "Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Our minds have to be transformed and renewed in the ways that we think. Because what we think matters. Let's go back to verse 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Okay. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts of the intentions of the heart. We fight our wars, our spiritual wars, with Scripture. We have to fight them with Scripture. You want to know what God did for you? Read his word. If you want to know what God thinks of you, read his word. If you want to know God's plan for mankind, guess what? Read his word. We're going to keep going. I'm going to drive this point home like it's a hammer and a nail. I want you guys to understand the purpose of the word. Do you want to know what your purpose in life is? Read his word. Are you going through hardships? Read his word. We have to read it. We have to make sure that we understand our greatest offensive weapon that we have. The cool thing about a sword is it's not just an offensive weapon, it's also a defensive weapon that keeps the enemy from being able to get close and have attacks that are inside of the reach of the sword. And we see this played out in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live off bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. All this will be given to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So we see see that Satan tried to tempt Jesus on three different occasions. He didn't try to tempt Jesus whenever he was strong and full of faith. But he came to him at the end of his time in the wilderness, while he was fasting. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if, y'all fa- if I fasted for 40 days, it's a miracle, okay? <laughs> I have to eat lunch at a specific time, or I'm hangry, and if you can just ask my wife, it's, it's the truth, okay? But Jesus, through his vulnerability, was able to combat the lies and the half-truths of the enemy with Scripture. He used the sword of the spirit to fend off the temptations of the enemy. And we have to know the word of God. So that when we are vulnerable, we can uh, use the sword of the spirit against the attacks of the enemy. And we can strike back with the word of God. Piercing through any lies that the enemy may come at us with. All right. At this point, we come to the end of our battle plan. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's kind of a tough translation if you're reading it, if you don't understand what supplication means or anything like that. So let's read it in this translation. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer is the communication with God. In Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, it is a great outline of how to pray. Prayer is a catalyst that fuels us and it keeps us aware and it keeps us in communication and communion with God. Prayer is something that we should be doing at all times. So often we take for granted our open line of communication with God. We have gotten away from just being able to talk with him and we end up using God's prayer time as a 911 service. We have to get away from treating prayer as a circumstantial tool. Instead, we need to communicate with God at all times and in every occasion. Now, there's one piece of armor that I didn't really elaborate on yet, and to understand that, we have to go back to the very beginning of the pieces, and we're going to talk about the belt of truth. Now, I believe there is a significance on why this is listed first. When you think about the belt, or a belt, it is put around the middle of your body or the core of your body. It is wrapped around you, not just partially. I've seen these belts online where literally they just go through like two belt loops. A belt goes all the way around you. And so to elaborate the belt of truth, we need to be wrapped in truth. Everybody say wrapped in truth. truth. Our greatest defense against the enemy is having a clear understanding of who God is, and what his word says about Jesus and our lives. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. Notice something there. I said Jesus is the truth. I didn't say Jesus is a truth. My truth, your truth, a product of truth, one of many truths. Jesus is the truth. And if we're going to stand firm in these daily battles, you must know Jesus, who is the truth. You must recognize him as truth and stand with the truth of Jesus given to us in scriptures. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. Next point is the warrior must know truth. A warrior must know truth. John chapter 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There was a theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer that said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what does come to mind? When you think about God, how do you relate to him? Is he an old man who is up in heaven waiting for you to mess up? Do you see him as a father that only gets upset when you do something wrong. Maybe you see him as a father who's holding on to you with two fingers waiting for you to mess up so he can let you go. I, let me tell you that none of that is true. I can tell you that God is nothing like that. That he loves us and wants to be in communion with you. He's not waiting for you to mess up. And he knows your heart because he made you. He holds each and every one of us in the palms of his hands like this. He's not waiting to drop you or to let you go. In fact, he wants so much for you to follow his will that he's jealous when you don't follow his will. He is with us wherever we go. So, what are you doing with the truth of God? Do you submit your life to truth? Do you submit your life to the truth of God's word? Or are you trying to figure it out on your own? Are you going about your life defining truth for yourself? Do you know Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Because what you believe about him says a lot about you. And it is the most important thing to you. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we see the gospel played out. And it says, and I'm sure we could all quote this. In fact, let's all read it together. On the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have all seen this either Cross-stitched on a pillow or on an inspirational post. And while this is great, this is a great promise that we have. The rest of the gospel is in the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came into this world so we can know truth. It is crucial for us to put on the belt of truth. We need to be wrapped in the truth of God's word. A warrior must know truth. Just like a Roman soldier knows how their sword works, we must also know Jesus and his word and what it says about him and our life. Next point, a warrior must live truth. It's one thing to know truth. It's another thing to live it. This can often be the hardest part for many of us. We can know things about God, what he's done for us, who he is and what he calls us to do. But oftentimes, this is where the truth ends for us, is knowing him. And we no longer have a, quote, relationship. We just leave it as head knowledge. We don't let the truth that is Jesus transform us and call our lives into action. So let me ask you a question. How do we know and apply or live truth Are you applying truth in your life? So how do we do this? Well, first and foremost, the biggest thing we have to do is we have to read it. If you want to know truth, you have to start by knowing who Jesus is and reading his word. And this has to be something we do daily. Create a system that works for you. If you're a morning person, Start your day reading the word. If you're a night owl, I know some night owls. I hope they read the word at the evening time. If you're a person who's very punctual and like businessman about things and you don't ever miss a meeting, set set up a meeting on your phone. Set a time, set an appointment so that when that appointment comes, you don't miss it. And when people start to ask, hey, what are you doing? Well, I have an appointment. They don't have to know who it's with yet. They don't have to know right offhand that your appointment is with God. You just have an appointment to make. We have to read it. Now, I have to also say this because I'm not one who likes to read a lot. Okay, so I have to say this. Don't beat yourself up if you miss a day. We are not perfect. The point is to create a system that works so that you can get the word of God in you. Okay, you have to know this so that when the enemy comes, you know the truth and you can fight back. Next point is we have to live it. We have to live out the word of God that has transformed us. Romans 12:2. once again, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to live it. This tells us that we are to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And we must know the truth and let it dwell within us. It changes us from the inside out. So what does that look like? What does it look like for the truth to live the truth? Well, it means that our lives should reflect Jesus. Our lives should reflect Jesus. Your life should look different. We as Christians are called to be light. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. This means that We know about Jesus, and it affects our daily lives. It means that we love others even if they're hard to love. This can be hard for a lot of us. You don't know what they did to me. We're commanded to forgive seven times 70 in a day. 90 times in a day and if that means that somebody's offended you 490 times in a day you have to forgive them every three and a half minutes if we never slept that's a lot so what does that really mean we have to have an, a forgiveness that is everlasting that looks like Jesus Jesus We also, when we live out the truth, we don't let circumstances dictate our joy and our peace. This one has been a, a challenging one for me. Um, because it had to come to the point where I realized that there is an eternal hope that outweighs any circumstance that we ever endure on this earth. So, we have to do these things so that we can live out truth in our life. So, we talked about reading it, living it. The last way that we can apply truth to our life is we have to speak it. I'm not up here standing here saying you have to be a word of faith person. What I am saying is your testimony holds volume. This is the coolest thing that we get to do in our faith. When we get to speak truth. And we're called to speak truth in love. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. God has forgiven you from all sin and that alone is worth sharing with everyone. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to say here is Jesus has to be the center or the core of what we believe. If we understand truth and that it comes from Jesus, he has to be central to our beliefs. And the rest of the armor cannot be skewed for selfish gain. There is no place for self-righteousness or salvation that comes through good works or our own doings. There's no peace that we can conjure up on our own, no faith that is misplaced in people. We start by wrapping ourselves in the truth and know Jesus so that the rest of the armor falls right into place. So let me ask you this. Are you putting on spiritual armor every day to fight a battle? There's a table they have prepared
2: and thanksgiving Thanksgiving. this This is how I find
0: First and foremost, I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember that. I also want you to remember that the enemy is real, but we can stand firm against the enemy by putting on God's spiritual armor. I want you to remember that you have to be ready and you have to be prepared. You have been given a strategy from God to help you in resisting the attacks of the enemy. I want you to remember to use this armor. God's armor is an invitation to trust God that he provides for you. And lastly, I want you to remember that you are a warrior in a spiritual battle, but you are confident that Jesus has already won the war. Are confident Jesus has already won the war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word that you have given us. We ask God that it would permeate in our hearts, that we would remember to use the armor for what you intended it for. May we use prayer as a tool that is daily rather than circumstance based. Father, may we wrap ourselves in truth and understanding of who you are. Father, I speak blessing over these people of this congregation and the people who are watching online. I ask that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine upon them, that you would be gracious to them and give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus, the peace that only comes from you.